You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Good morning, City Church Downtown. Will you stand with us as we worship?
good to see you guys today. You know, uh, some years ago, I used to own a uh, four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee. And one of the things I loved to do in my four-wheel drive vehicle was I would take groups of friends and we would off-road, you know, we would go uh, to the spring-fed rivers and streams out in the hill country and we would uh, four-wheel drive out there and we would swim in the water. And so this one particular time, uh, I took a group of friends in my four-wheel drive vehicle and we off-roaded like a mile off-road. And then uh, we parked the, the Jeep, and then we snorkeled and swam in the water. Well, we had swam down about a quarter of a mile, and one of the guys with us is a college student. His name was Vaughn. And Vaughn says, hey, Doug, uh, would you like me to run back and get the Jeep and drive it down here to where we swam so that everybody didn't have to walk all the way back to uh, the Jeep? And in a moment of stupidity, I tossed him my keys, okay? You know how this is going to work, right? You know that, that whenever you mix four-wheel drive vehicle and college student, um, it's not going to end well, right? So I tossed him my keys. About 30 minutes later, um, he comes jogging up to me, and he says, Doug, I think we've got a problem. And, of course, my Jeep is buried in the river, right? And there's water all up in the floorboards. And we took the next four hours to dig that thing out of there. And we literally had to take flat stones, create a little road where we could drive out and get free uh, from that situation. So uh, what's the moral of the story here? Well, we've been in this series on spiritual warfare, right? And we've been exploring the influence that evil and demons can have on human beings. And so in light of my little story about the Jeep, who owned the Jeep? I did, right? Okay, who got the Jeep stuck when he had the keys to it? The satanic college student, right? <laughs> He's actually a good guy in real life. Uh, but who, who gave him the keys? I did, right? And so what we want to explore today is, could it be possible that we're handing the keys of our lives over and that some of your lives are stuck spiritually because you have handed the keys to evil in your life? And here's what I want to tell you today. Today's your day to take back those keys. And that's the big idea for our conversation today. They're going to put it on screen. When I point to you, you're going to say this big idea with me. Are you ready for it? When I point to you, don't do it before I point to you, okay? Yeah, did you right on cue. Here we go. Ready? I'm taking back my keys. Taking back my keys. Now, I need to give a brief disclaimer to those of you that are new to church and you're new to the idea that there might be a real and literal devil and demons. We don't try and cast out coffee demons or chocolate demons, and we don't think that there's a demon behind every issue in our lives. And the majority of our dealings with the demonic doesn't involve some strange manifestations like you might see on movies like Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, or a presidential debate, okay? Um, we, we don't typically see that type of stuff, but I've been helped by the great Oxford scholar, C.S. Lewis. And let me show you what he says about this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Isn't that the truth? So some uh, fall for the error that they don't exist. Others get too enamored with them and want to find a demon behind every bush. Now let's look at the first error there. 
Um, I've been helped on the first era of disbelief in the, the demonic by a New York pastor named Tim Keller, who says that in the West, there's skepticism about demons because we think any, uh, anything and everything has like a natural scientific cause, and we've been blinded by our education and cultural refinement, so we call evil things like dysfunctional behavior or bad psychological adjustment. But isn't it hard to believe the atrocities like the Holocaust and genocide in Darfur are just merely dysfunctional behaviors? Or could there be something real and demonic behind those atrocities? And this is illustrated in that movie, Silence of the Lambs. Some of you remember it. Okay, you remember Officer Starling, who was played by Jodie Foster. She was so good at that role. And she encountered... Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter, who was played by Anthony Hopkins. And remember the scene, those of you that saw the movie, uh, where uh, Officer Starling was saying in front of Hannibal, she says to one of her colleagues, so what happened to him? What made him this twisted? Well, Hannibal overheard her. And those of you that uh, are familiar with Anthony Hopkins can just picture him saying the words, to Officer Starling, nothing happened to me. I happen. You cannot reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Look at me. Can you stand to say that I'm evil? You see what he's getting at there? The modern person cannot answer the monster's question. Can you stand to say that something is evil? And you also have to consider when it comes to belief in the demonic that most of the world believes that demons are real. And maybe if you don't believe in this, could it be that you're being a little overly simplistic, closed-minded, and culturally narrow? There is no problem with the idea of demons in Latin America or Africa or Asia. So can they have some wisdom too? Or are we so prideful that we think that our cultural refinement and education makes us above them? Look, the death camps of the Nazis came from one of the most educated and refined cultures in recent history. And if you think that there's no devil, I just want to ask the question, could it be that by believing that, could you be handing over some of the keys to your life to something evil because they don't want you to know that they exist? Now, we're still responsible for our own actions, right? We can't just say the devil made me do it. But what if some of the problems and issues in your lives were caused and created by evil spiritual beings? Wouldn't you want to know about it? And wouldn't you want to know how you can overcome them and take back the keys that have been given over to them in your life? Now, before we get into the rest of this, I want to define three terms here. These are going to be important to the discussion that we're having today. First is demon-possessed. What that means is ownership. That means the devil or a demon owns a person. Second is what's called demonized. That means demon control, where the demon can control the person. And then the third term I want to introduce you to today is demon oppressed. That means aggravation or harassment from the demonic, from the outside. Now, one of the things that might surprise you if you read through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, is that you're going to see demons controlling primarily religious people. 
Now, for some of you that are new to church, you're like, that doesn't surprise me a bit. I've met some really mean religious people in churches who were so mean and loving and judgmental and the like. And this group of religious people, they were called Pharisees, and they thought they were spiritually safe. They were very smug. In fact, they were so smug that they accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. And look at how Jesus had to tell them what was up in John chapter 8. Look at verse 43. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the what? Devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Look, those of you who consider yourself religious, you got to be very, very, very careful that you don't open your life to the demonic through religiosity. Now, one of the questions that we often get is, can a Christian be demon possessed that is owned by a demon my answer to that is no when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and welcome him into your life you are owned by God let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 where Paul tells us or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own for you have been bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body. So you, when you believe in Jesus, you are owned by Jesus and God. Now, here's another question. Can a believer be demon oppressed? What do you think on that one? All the believers are like, yes, you can. All the believers in all the services today are going to say, yes, I'm always getting oppressed. I'm always getting these attacks, this harassment, it seems like. Now, here's a question that's a bit more controversial. Can a Christian be demonized? And my answer to that question is yes. Now, there are some believers that I love and respect who disagree with me on this, and I changed my mind on this issue about 20 years ago uh, when I started having these types of experiences. And I believe that Christians can be influenced by demons to the point that the demon can manipulate their mind and even their physical body. I've experienced this many, many times, but I'm going to tell you about one of those uh, experiences that I had. Uh, years ago, I used to be the youth pastor at our Bandera Road City Church out on the northwest side. And I was standing at the front of the stage after one of our youth services, and a Christian young man came down to talk to me. I knew him well. He was a good Christian young man. Typically, he was a very happy guy. Uh, but he walked down to talk to me after the service. He had a glazed-over look on his face. He looked very confused. And he was talking in kind of a strange voice. And I thought, could it be that this guy is like a Christian? Man, what's, what's the deal here? But he, he seemed like something was wrong with him. And so I thought maybe this is a manifestation of some sort. And so I got a couple of our youth ministry volunteers, and I want to take this kid in a side room because you never want the person to feel objectified or uh, you know, embarrassed in front of other high school students. And so we went into a side room. And when we got into that side room, that was when the manifestations started. And the only way that I know how to describe the way his face was contorted was that his mouth looked like the Jack Nicholson Joker from the Michael Keaton Batman movie from, from many years ago. And he started talking in these strange voices. And we prayed with him and ministered to him. And we cast three demons out of a Christian young man. And one of the things that I'll never forget about that experience was when we walked out of the room, one of the volunteers that was with me uh, was a guy named Ryan, and Ryan kept saying, Doug, it's real. 
I've never seen this. It's real. He kept saying it's real over and over again. Now, when I reflect back on that experience, you might want to ask me, well, how is it that a Christian young man was able to be demonized? Well, it was through two things, sexual sin and drug use. He'd used some steroids. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every time a Christian commits some type of a sexual sin outside of biblical marriage, that a demon flies into your ear. I'm also not saying that every time a Christian uses some type of a drug that a demon is going to fly in your ear. But I will tell you this, it happened with this young man that day. So be careful what you expose yourself to. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, if this is true, Doug, where is this in the Bible? Let me show you a couple of places. Um, One time, Peter tried to influence Jesus to avoid the cross, right? And Jesus has to correct him. And look at how he does it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, who? Satan. Peter. Okay, we're not talking about some hellion, okay? We're talking about, if you used to be Catholic or you are, consider yourself Catholic now, uh, Catholics consider him the first pope. All of us know that upon Peter, the church was built and established. You think he wasn't a Christian? Yet Jesus looked him in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Now, there was also a Christian couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they uh, lied about their financial commitment to their church. And they have to be corrected by Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let who? Satan, fill your heart. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. You see what he did there? Ananias and Sapphira uh, were making a commitment to a special offering at their church. And they said they were selling this property and they were going to give the whole amount to uh, the, the offering at the church. And what they actually did is they kept a little bit back for themselves and they pretended like they were given the whole amount. And as I hear this story, you know, it kind of makes me want to make sure I'm, you know, up on my financial commitments that I've made at church, right? Um, see how I just did that just r- right there? Um, so those that don't believe a Christian can be demonized might ask me, well, Doug, how can the Holy Spirit and a demon live in the same person? And I think that's a good question. But I think another question is this. How can sin and the Holy Spirit live in the same person? Yet, as a Christian, would you say that you're completely without sin and that you never sin? And what I've experienced the most is that when the Holy Spirit of God comes into a person, when Jesus comes into a person's life, that's when he stirs up the demons and makes them want to leave. Remember the story when Jesus said that if you clean out your house, you better make sure you put something else in there or seven more evil are going to come back and inhabit it. You don't do anyone a favor if they don't believe in Jesus by kicking demons out of their life because seven more evil will come back. So when Jesus comes in, that's when the cockroaches start to scurry. And as your pastor who loves you, I want to beg of you to please quit handing the keys of your lives over to demons, through sexual sin, through 
white magic. Some people believe that there's good magic and bad magic. No, all magic is bad magic. I'm not talking about pulling a rabbit out of a hat or uh, illusions or something like that. I'm talking about any kind of Wicca witchcraft or any of that. Uh, Some are handing the keys of their lives over to a demon through drugs or porn or rebellion or bitterness. Some through the practices of the curinderas or curinderas that when your grandma put an egg under your bed, she didn't know that. She had good intentions, but that stuff is witchcraft, man. But you know what makes us most uh, in danger is the religious spirit or self-righteousness. And one of the biggest dangers is pride. Pride says, I'm untouchable. I'm too good. This is true in our spiritual lives, and it's also true in business that pride will kill us. I read a book some years ago by uh, Jim Collins. It's called How the Mighty Fall. And in his book, Collins calls pride hubris, and he gives the example of Circuit City, who had corporate leaders that would not listen to their investors. They were so prideful, and they held up a 44% earnings rate uh, to their investors. Yet we all know what happened a few years later they had to declare bankruptcy. And that's what's happening in the spiritual lives of many people, Christians, who think you're untouchable. You're not untouchable. Religious people who think you're better than others, you're not untouchable. The Bible says, cursed is he who thinks he stands lest he fall. And so some Christian people come into our church where there are a lot of very unchurched people here. A lot of people in our church that have struggles and issues and pains and problems. And I see some religious people come in and they hear the sermons and they think, oh, I know all that. I've read my Bible all my life. I've been a Christian for many years. And they look down their noses at people who are struggling and hurting and in pain. And I'm telling you, you're going to become a spiritual circuit city, spiritually bankrupt. If you have been a Christian for a long time, if you consider your Bible knowledge to be good and your prayer life to be good, you could be in danger of handing over the keys to your life. Now, when you have these thoughts in your head of temptation and accusation, oftentimes that comes from a demon. That is demonic oppression because that is their role in our lives to tempt us with stuff and to accuse us of stuff. Let me take you to Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter three, look at verse one. <clears throat> Excuse me. The accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand making what? Accusations against Yeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. And so when you have these thoughts that are shot into your head of accusation or you're tempted, is that being demon-possessed, demonized, or oppressed? That's oppressed, isn't it? That's, what, that's what's going on there is they're oppressing you through your th- the thoughts. And so here's how this plays out. When the demons come to you as tempters, what they're trying to do there is they're trying to give you too high of a view of yourself and too low of a view of God's holiness, right? They want you to feel entitled, and then they want you to think that God is not a big deal and that his standards for living in holiness and righteousness is not that big of a deal. And they'll come to you and say things like this. This feels good, really good right now, and you may as well go ahead and do it. There won't be any long-term consequences. It's not a big deal. See what they're doing? You're entitled to this, aren't you? And God's standards are no big deal at all. 
And then they'll say things like, well, you've been hurt. You've got a lot of pain in your heart, so you deserve this guilty little pleasure. You've worked hard all week, so you deserve this little uh, sinful delight here. That's a tempter. And then they'll say, look at all those non-believing people that are enjoying their sin, right? They're enjoying all the good life, is what they call it. You don't know really what's going on in those people's lives, but that's the way you'll be tempted through the lies of the enemy. Remember, they're trying to give you too high an entitled view of yourself and a too low of a view of God's holiness and righteousness. But when they come to you as the accuser, what they're doing there is they're trying to give you a low view of yourself, and they're trying to hide from you God's love and God's work on the cross for you here. So they're, they're saying things like this to you. Some of you, they say, you're, you're ugly, you're too fat, you're stupid, you may as well just kill yourself, right? These are the, the accusations that come from the enemy. Some of you hear things like, well, you're rejected. That's why your friend or relative didn't call you back or didn't text you back because they're rejecting you. They don't love you. They don't care about you. Or do you ever th hear things like, you screwed up way too bad. Not even God could accept you after what you've done. Some of you did something during Fiesta. It's like, you know, they're telling you, uh, you did something way too bad and God will never take you back after what you did. Look, they're playing you. It's what they're doing. They have observed human behavior for thousands of years, and they've observed your life ever since you've been alive, and they know your greatest weaknesses. They know your greatest wounds, your hurts and pains, and the things that make you the most vulnerable, so please be cautious. But here's what you got to understand, and I'll leave you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come near the close here with this, is that the cross is your greatest weapon against the accusations of the enemy. I'm going to show you this in Colossians, and then I'm going to tell you how to appropriate it. Look at Colossians 2.13. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the what? The cross. And so when they come to you and they say, you are worthless, you say, eh, the cross, I'm worth something or Jesus wouldn't have been sent to die on the cross. When they say you're unloved, you say, eh, the cross. The Bible tells me God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I've talked to some of our teenagers today who cut themselves and I've talked to others who have had the lie shot into their head. Just go kill yourself. But you can say, eh, the cross. I don't need to cut myself because Jesus was pierced for my iniquities and by his wounds I have been healed. And so if you're being attacked, here's what I want you to do today. We're going to have a time of prayer here at the front, and I'm going to invite you to stand up and literally walk down and kneel in prayer before the Lord. And you say, well, why do I have to come down and kneel at the front? That seems like an odd thing to have to do. But remember, we said that one of the things that makes you most vulnerable to the enemy is hubris and pride. And it's very hard to be prideful when you're kneeling before God in humility. And so if you're being oppressed right now by the enemy, I want to invite you to come and kneel and pray and say, look, I'm taking, I'm keeping these keys 
you're not gonna take my keys. For some of you, you might feel like you're being demonized. That is, you may feel like I'm doing some stuff and I don't know why I do it. Why did I do these things that I don't even wanna do myself? I want you to come down and humble yourself before a holy God and pray to him and say, I am taking back that key. I'm not gonna allow the enemy to have that key, but I'm gonna make sure it's in the hands of Jesus. And listen, if you never believed in Jesus, if you've never um, um, invited him into your life, believed that he died on the cross for your sin, you're completely exposed to the enemy and you have nothing to help you overcome the demonic. And I wanna invite you to come and kneel and pray. And you don't have to do any religious work Kneeling and praying doesn't do it, but simply believing. And so when you pray, just say, Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And our prayer leaders are going to have these little keys that they're going to walk around and they're going to hand you if you've come to kneel and pray. And I want you to take that key um, that they give you because that is a symbol of the freedom that you're having in Christ, that you're receiving in Christ today. And it's a symbol that you're saying, I am taking back the keys making sure the keys of my life are in the control of Jesus Christ. So let's stand up together. If you need to come down and kneel and pray, come on and do that. Do not harden your heart, but receive the grace of God and humble yourself before him when you still have the opportunity. Let's sing together and worship. person to be bound along with all your subordinates. You demons will not speak. You will not have any outside help or reinforcement. There will be one-way traffic for demons to go from here to the pit. You will not in any way bother anyone else anywhere at any time, especially those in this room and their families. You will not enter or harass any other person. There will be no control of the mind, confusion of the mind, tongue, or body. There will be no harm done to anyone here in any way. Demons, you will take all your associates, your collective works and effects with you. The Holy Spirit, we ask you to rule over all evil spirits here and force them to leave and punish them if they disobey. Before the white throne of the Lord God Almighty, we claim protection from and authority over Satan and all his demons. We take back keys we've given to demons and we cancel all their works and effects. We cast them away to the pit for judgment by God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to reclaim all the keys that we gave away and we ask you to rule in every area of our lives. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus, who is our God. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.